welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I get into the topics, can you please, if you would, please subscribe wherever you get this podcast from, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever, because when you do that, it helps out the algorithms. Also, when you do that as well, if you could leave a rating, whether I is a good rating, bad rating, it all helps out the algorithms to let them know that I am here. And it also lets me know to see where I can improve in, whether it be speech, tone, manner, or anything of that nature. When I get those reviews, I look at them and I do read them. So, uh, always appreciate it. Now, Let's start off with Raw. Raw will open up with a Titus O'Neil in-ring promo. And it's weird because we rarely ever see Titus on WWE programming. Uh, Titus will talk about his experience from w- in WWE from being a former World Tag Team Champion to be a Warrior Recipient Hall of Famer to being the WWE Global Ambassador. He will talk about all the things WWE do outside of the ring, like helping people less fortunate, supporting the service members around the world, uh, helping communities any way that they can. And he will say that WWE is a safe haven and this is a place where you guys can have fun and relax yourself because they don't talk about religion, politics, all this type of stuff. And he will open up Monday Night Raw. It was real weird to see Titus. Again, as I said, he doesn't show up on WWE television like programming a lot. Like the last time I think we saw him was like at WrestleMania, what, two? Not Yeah, last year. He was hosting it with him and Hulk Hogan. I think that was the last time we saw him on actual screen. But um, it's good to see Titus. I'm not going to lie. It's good to see him. But it was just weird. We still didn't get no reason why he was out here for that. I mean, but it was good to see him. Uh, After we get Titus out here, we get Becky Lynch to come out here. She would cut an in-ring promo. Becky will be out here to talk about how her career has been like the little engine that could after WrestleMania. Uh, Becky will say that she will be facing the winner at SummerSlam for the Raw Women's Championship. And Becky would then be interrupted by the Raw Women's Champion Bianca Belair. Uh, Bianca would tell Becky that what she did to her last week was foul, but that's okay because this isn't Becky's comeback story. This is Bianca Belair's comeback story from last year's SummerSlam where Becky beat her in 26 seconds. Uh, Becky would have to stand there and hear as Bianca would say that she is planning on avenging what happened to her last year and rewrite history at SummerSlam. Then you would see Carmella come out and tell Bianca that it's a mistake to overlook her because Carmella has a rematch against Bianca for the Raw Women's Championship literally next after this. Uh, Mella will remind her that she won their match last week and say that it's convenient that Bianca got counted out last week. Maybe it was because she was outmatched by Carmella. Mella will say that she plans on becoming the next Raw Women's Champion. Bianca will cut all that and say that she's ready to remind people why she is who she is. Becky would attack from behind. Carmella would join Becky and it would seem that Bianca would get to her feet and she would be able to handle both of these ladies until Becky will hit her with the manhandle slam. Now, once that happens, we go to commercial, and when we come back from commercial, we have the Raw Women's Championship matchup. Becky will be on commentary for this matchup. You will see Bianca beat Carmella by pinfall when Carmella would make the exact same mistake that she did at Money in the Bank, and Carmella would taunt Bianca by slapping her across the face twice, and this would frustrate Bianca, and then she would hit them with KOD for the win. After the match, Bianca would get her hand raised, and she would ask for a championship, but Becky will be on the ring apron holding the championship. Once Becky got in the ring, Becky will hold the championship in the air in front of Bianca, and Bianca will ask her to hand her her championship. Becky would extend her hand out with the championship to Bianca. Bianca would go to reach for the championship, but Becky would drop it 
and walk away. I didn't like that she did that. I ain't gonna hold you. I didn't like that because, again, this shows an era of cockiness of Becky's behalf, but I, ah, just the just the person inside me, I didn't, I wasn't feeling that because it seems to me Bianca always gets some type of disrespect. Somehow, in some way, we just get disrespect towards the black athletes, the black female athletes, because Naomi got beat up by uh, Sonya Deville whenever that happened. And Sonya Deville got on uh, Bianca Belair for that. And now Bianca Belair had her title dropped in front of her by Becky when Charlotte did the exact same thing to Becky uh, Beyond, Becky had a problem when Charlotte did it and now it's turned about as she's doing that to Bianca I know they probably talked about it backstage and all that but just me as a viewer it just seemed really weird it didn't fit right in my soul but hey man they must have talked about it in the back so I'll just chalk it up to that uh, after this we had the Kevin Owens show with his special guest Riddle Kevin Owens would mention that he left Raw for the last few weeks because he was obsessed with proving Ezekiel was Elias but now he mentions that when he was out there in nature on a nature retreat, he would watch Raw and see Riddle being relaxed. And he would tell Riddle that he wants to be like him. And Kevin Owens mentions that Rollins will be facing Riddle at SummerSlam. And he tells Riddle that Riddle has lost a best friend. And so did he. So now he wants to join forces with him. And he mentions that RK bro was good, but bro KO could be better. And the fans were chanting, bro, KO. Riddle has to calm that down. And Riddle would call Kevin Owens the biggest liar he knows. Kevin Owens would say, okay, I, I accept that. And he says that he knows that it will take time for him to prove himself, but he can. And he will say that, besides, you trusted Randy Orton, the biggest snake in WWE history. That's a mistake. Riddle would get upset by this, and he would get offended and tell KO that he's tired of people talking down about Randy. And he throws the mic down and starts getting in Kevin Owens' face. Once he does this, you hear Seth Rollins' music hit. Riddle looks at the ramp, and he's ready for Seth to walk out. Seth doesn't come out. Riddle walks over to Kevin Owens and gets in his face, and Kevin Owens tells him, hey, man, I promise you I had nothing to do with that. I didn't do that. And then again, Seth Rollins' music would hit, and Riddle is again looking at the ring apron. He looks at the ring stage, and he tries to wait for Seth to come out, but Seth will snake his way into the ring and attack Riddle from behind, and ultimately, Seth will hit Riddle with two curb stomps and lay him out. Uh, after this situation, we would get Rey Mysterio with Dominic in his corner going against Damian Priest, who had Finn Balor in his corner. Damian would win the match by pinfall when Damian would catch Rey Mysterio jumping off the top turnbuckle and hit him with a razor's edge for the win. After the match, Damian would beat up on Rey, and then you would see Finn Balor get two steel chairs. Finn would put Rey's head on one of the chairs, and he's ready to hit Rey with the other a chair for a concerto, but before he does this, Damien will get a mic and tell Dominic this is his last chance to join the Judgment Day, or else. Dominic will get in the ring, and he will say that he would join them, but they gotta stop. Damien would then grab Dominic by the chest and tell him that's not how this works, and he only knows that Dominic is doing this and joining them because he doesn't want them to beat up on his father. So then you will see Finn hit Dominic in the gut, and the back with a steel chair, and then he swings that chair at Ray's head, but Ray would roll out of the ring, and you would see both the Mysterios laid out outside of the ring as the Judgment Day stands tall. And we get a match for next week's Monday Night Raw, which will be the 20th anniversary of uh, Ray Mysterio's WWE debut. It will be the Mysterios going against Judgment Day. Uh, after this, we would get Seth Rollins going against Ezekiel. The only reason why this match is happening is because Ezekiel went up to Seth Rollins backstage, and he tells him that he didn't like what he did to Riddle, so that's the reason why we have this match. 
Rollins would win the match by pinfall when he would hit a rolling elbow to the back of the head of Ezekiel, then hit him with a curb stop for the win. Good match between these two. Whether it is Ezekiel or Elias, Seth Rollins knows how to work with this guy. And I like these two working together. If you see, I happen to see the match, trust me, you understand what I mean. These two just somehow have that chemistry that I just wish that, given the right story, I guarantee you they could put on a way better high elevated matchup. But again, still good chemistry between these two. Uh, after this, we get Angelo Dawkins with Montez Ford in his corner, going against Omos, who had MVP in his corner. The Usos were at ringside to watch the matchup. Angelo would win the match by disqualification when the ref would catch MVP tripping Angelo Dawkins. MVP would tell the referee that Montez Ford did uh, the same thing to Omos earlier in the match, but the referee wasn't trying to hear it. So then you see Adam Pierce come out. And he will decide to make a tag match between the Street Profits going against Omos and MVP. Uh, the Street Profits again would win the match, but this time by disqualification again, when Jay Uso would push Montez Ford off the top turnbuckle and the referee would call for the bell. Jay Uso did this because earlier in the match, you would see Angelo Dawkins throw MVP into the Usos who were watching the match at ringside. The Usos would then beat up on the Profits, and then you would see the Usos throw, uh, the profits into Omas, so Omas would grab both of Angelo and Montez by the throats and just choke slam them at the exact same time. So the Usos have at least one up on the Street Profits tonight on Monday night. After this, we would get AJ Styles going against Theory. We would get Theory uh, earlier, well, not earlier, before the match starts. He's on the mic. He talks about how everybody's jealous of him, whether it be Madcap, whether it be Dolph, whether it be all these other guys, everybody's jealous of him because he is the youngest Mr. Money in the Bank winner. And at SummerSlam, he plans on cashing it in and become the youngest universal, undisputed universal champion. Uh, once the match happens, Dolph Ziggler will come out for ringside again. And AJ would win the match by ring out when Theory would throw AJ in the ring. And the ref was making sure AJ was okay. Dolph would take advantage of this and super kick uh, Theory in the face. Dolph super kicked Theory in the face because earlier in the match, uh, Theory shoved Dolph and Dolph landed on his butt outside of the ring. So Dolph took offense to this and Theory wouldn't make it to the ref's count to the count of 10. So that's the reason why AJ would win by ring out. Again, we're leading up to somewhere with Dolph and Theory. I think Dolph's going to probably do something to screw Theory at SummerSlam to make him sure that he doesn't cash in that money in the bank briefcase. I don't know. I don't know. They haven't given Dolph a reason why. He's doing this to theory. So, again, it's up in the clouds right now. Again, I will be happy if Dolph would just come out and say, you know what, I'm going to be the killers of uh, the new generation. All these young guys that think they're better than me, they're not better than me. Because, again, this will work into what he did with Braun Breaker earlier in the year. And with theory thinking that he's better, this would cash in on that. So, uh, we'll have to see. After this, we get a six-woman tag team matchup. Alexa Bliss, Asuka, and Dana Brooke going against Dewdrop, Nikki A.S.H., and Tamina. Asuka would win the match by her, for her team by submission when Asuka would get Nikki in the Asuka lock and have her tap out. This match was complete chaos because 90% of this thing was 24-7 championship madness because Dana Brooke is a champion. You will see Akira Tozawa come in, pin Dana Brooke. He becomes 24-7 champion. Nikki A.S.H., she... Beats up on Tazal. Pins him, becomes 24-7 champion. She gets dropped by, I believe, Alexa. Then Alexa becomes 24-7 champion. Then by Dewdrop. Dewdrop, 24-7 champion. Uh, Tamina. Tamina 
becomes 24-7 champion. Then Dana Brooke, again, becomes 24-7 champion, then runs out. This would allow Asuka to get Nikki, lock her into Asuka lock. Again, 90% of this thing, whole matchup was literally 24-7 madness. Then we get to the main event segment. Miz TV with Logan Paul as the special guest. Logan will come out and he would ask Miz, does he accept his challenge for a match at SummerSlam? Miz would tell Logan to hold on to that and wait as they watch footage of them as a team winning their matches against the Mysterios at WrestleMania. Now, once they get to the ending sequence of them getting their hands raised, Miz will cut the footage. Logan will tell the rest of the people in the back to continue running the rest of the footage, and it will show Miz giving Logan Paul a Skull Crusher finale at WrestleMania. Miz would explain himself and tell Logan that Logan is a rookie in the WWE world and that he is inexperienced in this world. So his answer to his challenge is a no. Logan will insult Miz by saying he has two blueberries as genitals because, again, this whole thing is Miz having tiny balls is one thing that triggers the Miz. So the Miz starts getting upset. He tells Logan Paul, you want the match? Fine, you got it. It'll be me versus you at SummerSlam. So you will see uh, Logan be excited. He has a smile on his face. Miz would try to sneak attack Logan, but ultimately fails when Logan would uh, double leg take down Miz and start beating him up. And then you see Champa sneaking and attack Logan from behind. It will be a two-on-one assault until Logan Paul will run out of the ring. And that's basically the end of Monday Night Raw. Logan Paul gets his match with Miz. And also next week on Monday Night Raw, Logan Paul will be doing his own little in-ring talk show segment. He'll be calling it Impulsive TV, kind of like a spinoff of his uh, podcast called Impulsive. Monday Night Raw to me was, I didn't like it. It was trash. It felt slow, and it felt like real, real drought, like drowny to me. It was, it was like sleepy TV. It wasn't, this week it just wasn't it for me. It wasn't it. I don't know what to say. It just wasn't it. And no, it was not because it was not TV 14. Because people are going to say, because it's not TV 14. No, I've sat through WWE TV PG for literally almost a decade now. Well, no, past a decade. And this one just was sleepy TV to me. I don't get it. But Raw this week just wasn't cutting it. Now off to NXT. Before I get into the results, here's something to note. Next week, we will get Wesley going against Grayson Waller. Also, Zion Quinn will be going against Apollo Crews to continue on with that story. And also... During this NXT uh, episode, we would get the unmasking of Joe Gacy's Druids, the Dyad, and it was uh, the Grizzle Young Veterans, but they are now under new names. James Drake is known as Jagged Reed, and Zach Gibson is now known as Rip Fowler. Joe Gacy does make mention that there will be more people to come into the fold of the schism, because that's Joe Gacy's uh, group name. Uh, And also, we would see a glimpse of that once NXT starts, because as soon as NXT starts, we have Cameron Grimes going against J.D. McDonough, uh, formerly known as Jordan Devlin. Joe Gacy will be watching this match on a high perch, and J.D. would win the match by pinfall when Cameron Grimes would get his left foot, better yet, his left ankle trapped in between the middle and third ropes, and you will see J.D. start kicking at Grimes' legs. This would allow J.D. to hit a pull-in back suplex, the same thing that he did on uh, Braun Breaker two weeks ago on NXT, and he would pin Cameron for the win. This was a good match between Cameron and JD. Uh, Cameron was able to showcase the fire that he has inside of him that he's been lacking for some time now. And you see, JD was able to showcase that not only can he take a butt kicking, but when the opportunity presents itself, 
he's going to take it and basically show you that he is smarter than you in the ring. So this showcases that. Joe Gacy was watching and he did not like that Cameron lost. He had a uh, sad like face. And later in the night, you will see an interviewer trying to catch up with Cameron Grimes, but Cameron Grimes was so mad and so upset that he lost. And he just starts shouting that I just want a minute. And he starts recounting that when he lost the NXT North American Championship, he said he just wanted a minute. When he lost the chance to win the NXT Championship, he said he just wants a minute. So you will see Joe Gacy walk up to Cameron and say, listen, I know what you're going through. I've been in your spot. And Grimes tell him, listen, I am not trying to hear it. I just want a minute. And he will end up leaving the building. So we see Joe Gacy is trying to recruit Cameron Grimes and Maybe Grimes will go into Joe Gacy's group, and maybe he won't. But this could tell you the direction that they're leading with Cameron Grimes and Joe Gacy going into the future. If it was my guess, I would say we probably would get Idris and Malik to probably back up Cameron Grimes, as Grimes will not be joining Joe Gacy's group. And uh, we can get Grimes to team up with uh, Malik Blade and Idris Anafe, because again, I see those three as literally guys that could do something in the future, because Grimes did have a little uh, one-on-one with Malik and Idris some time ago, like four weeks ago, maybe, and uh, he talked to them about saying, you guys have all the tools in the world, but you guys just go out here and have party and all this type of stuff, not taking anything seriously, so I can see Grimes being with those two in this rivalry with Joe Gacy and his uh, dyad, better known as the entitled group Schism. But that time will happen when the time happens. After this, we would get Cora Jade having her in-ring promo. And Cora Jade comes out here with the NXT Tag Team uh, Women's Championships. Well, her half of it. Cora's out here to explain why she attacked Roxanne last week. Cora says that she should have stabbed her friend in the back way earlier than this. And she laughs about it. Cora mentions that for the past couple of months, Cora was branded as the female lead in the future. She would talk about her winning war games, uh, being on the faces of the posters, the commercials, people tweeting about her, uh, saying that she's the future. And Cora would say that she wanted to extend the spotlight to her friend Roxanne and bring her in. And once she did that, people would start calling Roxanne the future. And this kind of rubbed Cora the wrong way. Cora would mention that as soon as her and her best friend won the tag team titles, not 30 minutes later, Roxanne would announce that she wants to challenge for the NXT Women's Championship. Cora would say that Roxanne was selfish, and that's what led her to attack her last week. Cora would say that her plan was almost perfect to take the spotlight until Roxanne came out to fight Mandy for the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, Cora would say that since Roxanne isn't here, because she has a medically broken heart, there is no woman in the bag that can stop her from winning the Women's Battle Royal and becoming the next NXT Women's Champion. Now you will see Cora then leave the ring and walk towards the trash can and say that this championship means nothing to her and that she is entering a new generation of Jade and saying that she is basically the one. Cora would then drop her championship into the trash, then walk away. Uh, You know what? I don't like, I still don't buy it, but if that's what we're going with, is that's fine. Again, I still think that we're going to have those in, that those uh, WWE Women's Tag Team Championships being transferred over to NXT now, or either we're going to do what, the NXT, what that championship was meant to do in the beginning in 2019. 
Uh, they were finally going to have a tournament with the NXT women tag teams, the Raw women tag teams, the SmackDown women tag teams. And we think we're going to have a big old tournament to crown new WWE women tag team champions. I think this was a way to kill off the NXT women tag team championships. If this is not that, I seriously don't know what we're doing. If this was the way to kill off those tag team titles, I'm fine with it. Let those NXT women's tag titles be dead because they should never have been created in the first place. But if they bring those NXT women's tag titles back, I don't know what we're doing. Again, there should only be one set of women's tag titles that should be defended on all three brands, and it's literally the WWE women's tag team titles, and I hope that they do a tournament for them with all three brands, women's tag teams uh, being in those tournaments. After this, we get Roderick Strong going against Damon Kemp. Roddy would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Tony D'Angelo. When Damon and Roddy were both laid out on the mat, Tony D'Angelo would appear on the screen, and he would show that his family had just got done beating up on the creeds. Tony would tell Roddy that the only thing that is forever is Tony D and his family. Damon would tell Roddy that, hey, we need to go to the back and check on the creeds. Roddy would then take this time to turn Damon around and hit him with a high knee to the face and then cover Damon for the win. After the match, we see Roddy with his arms raised in the air, then leave the ring and tell Damon to come on. We got to check on the Creed's. Later, we see the Diamond Mine stand as a unit, and you see Julius Creed throw out the challenge to Tony D'Angelo and his crew for an eight-man tag match next week. Later in the night, Tony would accept. So next week, we get Diamond Mine going against Tony and his crew. I'm telling you right now, next week, I need to see Roddy walk out on Diamond Mind or Diamond Mind walking out on Roderick Strong. That's the only way this whole Roddy as a tyrant to Diamond Mind needs to end because I understand we're trying to build up to somebody else leading Diamond Mind or somebody else coming in to run over and take over Diamond Mind because Roddy is a tyrant. I don't know who that person is, but for right now, I would like to see Roddy literally leave Diamond Mind to have them get beat up by Tony's family or... Diamond Mountain, leave Roddy so he can get video by Tony's family. Either or, I'm cool with that happening next week. But all things for certain, Tony D'Angelo's family, I think, is winning next week. After this, we get the NXT UK Tag Team Championship matchup. Pretty deadly, going against Briggs and Jensen, who had Fallon Henley in their corner. Briggs and Jensen would win the match by pinfall to retain their NXT UK Tag Team Championships when Elton Prince of Pretty Deadly would give Kurt, well, Kit Wilson, one of the Tag Team Championships. Elton would slide the other championship in the ring towards Josh Briggs. Elton would tell the referee that Briggs has the championship, and the referee would take the title away from Briggs. Uh, Brooks Jensen would then big boot Elton in the face, and while that happened, Kit would be in position to hit Briggs with the championship. But before he does, was able to do this. Fallon would get on the ring apron and grab the title from Kit. This would set up Briggs and Jensen to hit Kit with a high-low uh, clothesline finish for the win. The same thing, the same maneuver that uh, Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch did as their tag finish. So the country boys got that finish again from another pair of country boys. So Briggs and Jensen win the match, and they are still your NXT UK tag team champions. After that, we would get Braun Breaker coming out, and he has shoulder tape on his shoulder that's kind of bruised up. Braun will be coming out here, and he gives Props to Cameron Grimes for a hard fart match at NXT's uh, Great American Bash. And he will talk about why he understands why J.D. McDonough did what he did to him. But he lets it be known that he will be coming after J.D. for what he did. J.D. would then pop up on the screen and he's standing in front of a dummy that has some squibble lines on the shoulder. 
and he asked Braun how his shoulder is feeling. Braun would tell him to come out and see how his shoulder is feeling. JD would tell Braun that he is so predictable, and he knew that Braun would say that, and he starts showing on the dummy, well, showing Braun on the dummy how he's going to dissect Braun's shoulder to the point that Braun's brain will shut off from pain, and he basically will pass out because of how much pain that Braun is basically going through. Braun will say that JD can do all that, and he can even tear his shoulder off, but Braun is going to take his shoulder back from him and beat JD over the head with it. So we're now leading to Braun going against JD sometime later. Uh, I don't know when, but we're gearing up for that. And personally, I'm cool with this because, again, Braun Breaker only has so many people in there on NXT. They're not trying to set him up with Von Wagner yet. They're not trying to get him with Solo Sokoa yet. They're not trying to do him with uh, Carmelo Hayes yet. I don't think they'll do him with Grayson Waller. I So I'm cool with him going against JD McDonough right now since that kind of be like a little small detour to Braun on a bigger thing, which I don't know who's next at the JD. Again, I named Von Wagner. That would be cool because Von is a big dude. Solo Sokoa, that would be straight. Uh, Carmelo Hayes, it seems like he's primed to be the next guy up to take the mantle from Braun Breaker in NXT because Braun Breaker and Cam, uh, Carmelo Hayes are literally 1A, 1B on NXT. Those are the guys that you literally want to see as your champions on NXT, and they are your champions. Carmelo being the North American champion and Braun being your NXT champion. So, I mean, I don't know what we're doing after this JD McDonough thing, but again, it seems like we're setting Braun up just on a little small detour until we get him to something bigger. After this, we would get the in-ring debut of Axiom. This is basically A-Kid's new gimmick. He's wearing a mask, going against Dante Chin. Dante hasn't been on NXT since... Uh, June-ish? No, not June. Farther than that. They say June, but it's been a minute since the last time I see Dante here, but good match between both men. Axiom would win the match by pinfall when he hits uh, Dante Chen with a jumping savat kick to the jaw and it knocks Dante out. Uh, good showing between both of these guys again. You also had, this was funny, the fans were cheering for Dante Chen in this because, again, I think people were feeling that Dante Chen got the wrong end of the stick here because he I believe earlier this year, he got the uh, treatment of being, hey, I'm coming back after an injury type deal. And and NXT just kind of like dropped the ball on him. They didn't care for him. And they just kind of like threw him off to the wayside. So the fans didn't. So they were cheering for Dante Chen in this matchup as they were chilling with Axon in this matchup too. So it was good to see uh, Dante on NXT, but we can see that they're having the spotlight right now on Axiom. And I'm, I'll see how far they can take this uh, mask guy going i want to see how far they go with it before i start really uh either praising it or poo-pooing on it now it's time for the main event the 20 women uh battle royale for the number one contenders for the nxt women's championship uh we will get a returning zoe stark back coming into this matchup because she has been out ever since uh october november ish because i went on a cage match dot uh, com cage match is a place where you can look up any wrestler and they document all the matches that they've been through, whether it be on pay-per-view, television, or even the live events. And they have it as the last time she was competing was in the triple threat uh, NXT Women's Tag Team title match in October. And she's been out with some type of leg injury. And I was always wondering where she's been, how when she's coming back. I never, I don't think I mentioned it on the show, but uh, I will mention that literally to myself because I talked to myself. But anyway, uh, 
Zoe would make her return here, and the last four members to be in the Battle Royale were Zoe Starks, Nikita Lyons, Tiffany Stratton, and Kiana James. Nikita would eliminate Kiana. Nikita then would get eliminated by Tiffany Stratton. Then it would be down to Zoe Starks and Tiffany. Zoe would eliminate Tiffany, and once that happens, Zoe would start celebrating in the ring like she just won the matchup, but unbeknownst to her, Cora Jade was sneaking the ring, and Cora Jade was never ever eliminated out of this matchup because once the match started with all 20 women in there, 19 other women started looking at Cora Jade, and Cora Jade just happened to slip out underneath the ring, and Ivy now ran after her, and basically Cora ran straight to the back, and Cora was forgotten all throughout that whole time as the bat- women were battling in the ring. So, Cora decided to sneak back in the ring, behind uh, Zoe Starks and run towards Zoe, but Zoe would sense that Cora was right there, turn her head, and then lift up Cora and toss her over the ropes and eliminate Cora. So that would be the final elimination. So Zoe Starks would win the match finally, and she will be crowned as your number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship as Toxic Attraction will be watching the match perched up. So Mandy Rose has... Zoe starts to look forward to, and also on commentary, they did note after the match that it was Toxic Attraction were the ones that took out Zoe Starks and had her be on the shelf. So it was going to be a nice retribution like story for Zoe Starks to be the one to dethrone Mandy Rose if they want to pull the trigger on that. Because again, I don't see too many women to be the ones to take care of Mandy, but they could probably find a way. But it would be nice for Zoe to do it because, I mean, it would be a nice redemption story. But that is your NXT women's uh, main event. And NXT was nice. NXT was solid. It wasn't like Raw. It all uh, felt smooth. It all felt nice. It felt coherent. And nothing uh, was slow about it. So that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Dynamite. This would be the Fighter Fest Week 2 edition of Dynamite. And the first match to start us off would be Brody King. Going against Darby Allen, this has been a uh, fierce thing between both of these guys ever since the Rampage Royale, uh, I believe two weeks ago, and um, where Brody would eliminate Darby Allen, and uh, Brody would win this match against Darby. Darby took a butt-kicking, if I've ever seen one. I mean, Brody King's a big dude, Darby Allen's a small dude, so you had the David versus Goliath type story here, and a few times you had Darby Allen pulling out like little sneak uh, maneuvers to try to take Brody off his feet, like tying Brody's uh, feet together with his belt and start clobbering him in the back and trying to use his fast pace to benefit him. But all that would not prevail. Brody's too big for him and he's too strong. And Brody just basically just beat the dog crap out of Darby. Uh, Brody would win the match when he would hit Darby with the gonzo bomb for the win after he applied the sleeper hold on him. Uh, after the match, Brody would pick up Darby and apply the sleeper hold on him again, and he would continue to hold on to that sleeper hold until Sting decides to come down and make his way towards the ring. Once Sting got in the ring, Brody would attack uh, Sting and throw Sting into the corner and run towards him, but Sting would move out of the way. Brody hits the turnbuckle, and then Sting would grab Brody and put him in the Scorpion death drop, and as soon as he hits the death drop, the lights will go out. Once the lights would turn back on, Malachi Black would be in the ring and you would see Sting and Malachi having a stare down until Brody comes behind and grabs Sting and puts him in a sleeper hold and then you see Malachi blow the black mist into Sting's face. Brody would continue to apply the sleeper hold onto Sting as Sting tries to get out of it, but you would see 
Miro's music hit, and Miro will walk down the ramp, and he has sunglasses on. And he will stop at the end of the entrance ramp and just stare at Malachi and Brody. And this is leading up to past weeks of uh, Miro talking in videos, and he's talking to God, saying that he did he send Malachi to uh, stop him from going against his mission to take the throne. He's trying to kill God. That's Miro's whole thing here. Or two, does he want him to join Malachi Black in his House of Black? So this adds more intrigue onto that story of Miro. Is he going to join Malachi or is he going to try to destroy Malachi as a roadblock going to God? I don't know what we're doing here with uh, Miro here, but if they do decide to put Miro in House of Black, that's nothing but killers on House of Black. You got Malachi, you got Brody King, you got Buddy Matthews, and then you get Miro. That's nothing but a big four. So I'm cool with that. They do it. And if I'm not getting Miro in House of Black, him going against House of Black, again, you got a win-win situation here. I'm not mad at none of this. After this matchup, we would have the best friends, Trent Beretta and Chuck Taylor, going against John Moxley and Wheeler Yuta. The interesting thing about this match was that William Regal and Orange Cassidy was on commentary. And Orange Cassidy wouldn't say much, but he'll chime in here and there. But William Regal would basically be trashing the best friend in uh, Orange Cassidy's whole clique by saying that Wheeler Yuta left their team to join the Blackpool Combat Club because best friends in Orange Cassidy, yes, they're good wrestlers, but they're not killers. They don't have that killer instincts. They don't, if you want to be the best wrestler you can be, you don't sit by the best friends in Orange Cassidy. You join a group like the best wrestlers that on the world, the Blackpool Combat Club, and that's what this whole match was about. Willie Uta turning his back on the best friends and him joining with uh, Blackpool Combat Club. So you saw Willie Uta uh, antagonizing Trent. Trent never liked it, Willie Uta. And you saw Willie Uta antagonize Chuck Taylor, and Chuck Taylor had to slap Willie Uta around a couple because, well, he turned his back on the best friends, so that's the kind of match that we got here. Uh, Yuta would win the match for his team by pinfall when Willie Yuta would counter out of the awful waffle, which is uh, Chuck Taylor's uh, pile driver, and he would get Chuck in a seatbelt uh, pin position for the win. And the funny thing about that was as soon as Yuta won the match with that pinning maneuver, Orange Cassidy would let Regal know in the commentary that Chuck Taylor taught him that pin. And he did that, and the significance of that line was that all throughout that match, you notice that Blackpool Combat Club's uh, meaner, demeanor is that they're brutalizers. They'll beat you up. They're there to cause as much pain and affliction on you as much as they can, and they think they can get the win that way. That doesn't beat the best friends. That doesn't beat them. A straight-up professional wrestling signature-style pin was able to beat the best friends, and it wasn't taught to Yuta by the Blackpool Combat Club. It was taught to him by the best friends. So maybe, just maybe, this took Regal and the Blackpool Combat Club just a peg off of their high perch because even though they got the win, they didn't win with a maneuver that they taught Wheeler Yuta. It was a maneuver that Wheeler Yuta taught, got taught from the best friends. So again, this might take a peg off of the perch that Blackpool Combat Club has, but we'll have to see as... Uh, the future goes with that story, or if they ever decide to go back to it. After this, we have the tag team celebration with uh, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. They won the AEW tag titles last week. And once they come out 
of the good guys tunnel, you will see a cake and champagne on the table outside of the ring. Uh, Swerve would have Kevin Gates. He's a rapper in the audience, and he would give Kevin Gates a shout out and promote his album and tell everybody to go stream Kevin Gates' album. Keith Lee would take his time to thank everyone for their support for them as a team. He would say that they have went to the top of the mountain top of a tag team and they don't plan on looking down. And as soon as Keith and Swerve were about to leave the ring, out walks Tony Nese and Mark Sterling. Mark Sterling would say that they have their petition here to have Swerve removed from the roster and it's almost completed. He just wants to come out here to get Kevin Gates to sign the petition. Kevin Gates shakes his head no. Mark Sterling would say that his music sucks anyway, and he starts pointing at the chest of Kevin Gates. Kevin Gates would walk from behind the audience barricade. He started walking up to Mark Sterling. Sterling would have Tony Nese be the middleman to make sure Gates don't get at him, but Kevin Gates would punch Tony Nese in the face. And then you see Mark Sterling get thrown a cake in the face by Swerve. So this was nothing but a like, little ha-ha deal. AEW had a lot of uh, rappers this week. And it doesn't end because we get another rapper like involving himself. Not really, but he gets a name shout out technically in uh, the show later on. And also on Rampage, we have another rapper on uh, the show. But we'll get to that when the time comes. After this, we have Christian Cage and Luchasaurus going against the Varsity Blondes in a tag matchup. But it really was a two-on-one deal. Uh, Christian will get the win for his team by pinfall when... Christian would insist and instruct Luchasaurus to chokeslam both Varsity Blondes. He would chokeslam Brian Pillman Jr., and then he would chokeslam Griff on the back of Brian Pillman, and then Christian would ask for the tag in. Luchasaurus would tag in Christian. Christian would go over, cover Brian for the win. After the match, Christian was on the second turnbuckle, and he would instruct Luchasaurus to hold him on his shoulder the same way that he did for Jungle Boy, and he would do this, and then you would hear Jungle Boy's music hit, and Jungle Boy will walk out. He's walking out slow. He has a white t-shirt on, black jacket, with a steel chair. He has a little bit of a scruff on his face, so that tells you that he's out here for business. Uh, Christian will tell Luchasaurus to stop Jungle Boy. Luchasaurus will stand at the end of the entrance ramp, and Luchasaurus will just be waiting as Jungle Boy will walk up to him. Now, Jungle Boy will look at Luchasaurus, and he will look at Christian, and he will have his chair held up in position to hit Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus will look at Christian, and then you look at Jungle Boy, and then he will step aside, and then you will hear the fans erupt with cheers because now Luchasaurus is no longer with Christian. That short partnership has been dissolved as he's now siding with Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy would rush into the ring. Christian would leave out of the ring, and he would leave into the audience and start running up the arena steps, and Jungle Boy would follow behind him. I'm not going to front. They sped that fast patch that uh, story real quick. Because, again, I think we could have leveled that much more with Luchasaurus kind of being like the middleman for Christian and Jungle Boy. I thought they were saving that match literally until All Out. Because All Out, since September, we still got August to still run by. But we shall see how AEW do it. I'll give it time and let's see how they do it. I just wonder if they're going to do this on our episode of Dynamite with Christian Cage going against Jungle Boy, or are we trying to say that for All Out? I don't know, but for me, if it was me booking the thing, I would say that for All Out, and again, have Luchasaurus would have still been with Christian, but I'll see how far this goes with this uh, new wrinkle, how they tell this story. Uh, after this, we have the FTW Championship matchup. 
of Ricky Starks having an open challenge, and it was answered by Cole Carter, formerly known as Two Dimes from NXT. He's on AEW this week, and uh, the funny thing about this was that during Dynamite, you get a backstage interview with Cole Carter, and Ricky Starks would mention that the last time we heard about you, you were sleeping with the fishes, making reference to the character that uh, he was playing on NXT where Two Dimes got killed off by sleeping with the fishes, Tony D'Angelo style, mafia style, but now you're here on AEW. So, again, they made reference to it, and that's the thing that I like about AEW. They don't, like, they do tongue-in-cheek to WWE. Sometimes they say WWE's name, sometimes they don't, but that's what they do. They like to make sure that the audience isn't stupid. I do like the uh, AEW for that. Anyway, get into the matchup. Ricky Starks would win the match by pinfall when Cole would hit the TKO on Ricky Starks, and then he would go up to the top turnbuckle and go for the 450 splash. Ricky would move out of the way, and Cole would miss, leading to Ricky to hit him with a spear for the win. A good match for Cole Carter and Ricky Starks here. This was basically Ricky Starks just getting the shine and spotlight onto himself after he came short to uh, basically almost winning the tag titles last week, but this was just basically Ricky Starks' redemption night and match for him here. Uh, after the match, Ricky would get a microphone to say that he has some more energy in the tank, and he says he wants to have another open challenge. And once he says this, Dan Housen will come out and say that he's out here to accept the challenge. Ricky Starr would tell him that he didn't mean right now, and he would say that, how about we do it next week? So next week on Dynamite, we will be getting Ricky Starr going against Dan Housen for the FTW title. And the funny thing about this, again, is that Hook has some affiliation with Dan Housen. We haven't seen those two together for a good solid, what, almost a month. I wonder if they're going to play into that next week if they do. This will make a interesting dynamic because, again, Hook is cool with Dan Housen. Hook is cool with Team Taz because his father is Taz. So I don't know if we're building up for Hook to go against Ricky Starks for the FTW title because, I mean, that would be cool. Hook holding the same title that his father created. That will be straight, but we'll see. After this, we will get an entering interview from FTR as they're out here to promote their upcoming matchup with the Briscoes at Death Before Dishonor for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships, which happens this Saturday. Cash would say that they respect the Briscoes, but at Death Before Dishonor, the Briscoes aren't going to take the championships from them. Uh, Dax would then use his time to tell a story. So uh, so there's this little, uh, there was this little five-year-old girl back home, and uh, her parents took her to this routine checkup to the doctor, and uh, he put her, uh, he was listening to her chest and listening to her back, and, and he heard something weird, and it was, uh, it was an irregular heartbeat. And the doctor said, hey, don't worry, parents. Uh, let's just go to the cardiologist. Let's get some x-rays done. Let's get a, see a CT scan and MRI and see what's going on. So they went to the cardiologist, and uh, they found out this little five-year-old girl had a hole in the bottom of her heart. And uh, the doctor told the parents, if this little girl worked hard, she fought hard, she could overcome this, and that hole would close up on its own. But if not, they would have to do open-heart surgery, which, you know, is a big risk for a five-year-old. So fast forward three years later, and this little girl, she goes back to the same cardiologist, and he does the x-rays, he does the MRIs, and he looks, and the hole is completely closed. This little girl worked her ass off. She fought her ass off to make sure she was healthy, and that little girl, the eight-year-old girl, is my daughter. And if that little eight-year-old girl will fight that hard for something that's not promised to her, well, daddy's got to do the same thing. Saturday night... Saturday night, Daddy's got to fight that hard to bring home the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships and bring home a legacy she can be proud of. 
So after that story, you would get Dak saying that he's going to fight like an eight-year-old girl to prove that uh, FTR is the best tag team. And also, by the way, FTR will be going against the Briscoes in a two out of three falls match for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship at Death Before Dishonor. So this should be a good match between both teams. I saw their first matchup uh, at, I believe it was what, uh, Super Card of Honor. It was at earlier this year, WrestleMania weekend. Good tag team matchup between these two gentlemen. The crowd atmosphere really helped amplify it. So I believe that with this crowd right here that knows what's going to happen and after people already seen the rematch with two out of three falls now with both of these two teams. Excellent teams, by the way. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'll give my predictions later and then after the show, but I predict this is going to be just a good match personally. Um, after this, we would get Jay Cargill and Kiera Hogan with Stokely Hathaway and Jermaine Dupree in their corner going against Athena and Willow Nightingale. Jade would win the match by pinfall for her team when Jade would hit Willow with Jaded for the win. Solid match between all four of these ladies. Again, I told you, uh, AEW just seems to enjoy rappers. They were in ATL, Atlanta, on Rampage and Dynamite, so they really took advantage of the rappers uh, that were there in the crowd. Also, West Side Gun of Griselda and also a uh, wrestling fan was front uh, in the front row, and once you saw Dynamite open up this uh, episode, you saw him with his daughter right there on the show, so that was a good thing to see. Uh, now it's time for the main event. Barbwire Everywhere Deathmatch. Chris Jericho, a.k.a. his alternate ego, the Painmaker, going against Eddie Kingston, with the Jericho Appreciation Society being locked in a shark cage, hanging above in the audience. Jericho would win the match by pinfall thanks to shenanigans. Because once Eddie Kingston had Jericho kind of beat up and bloody up, uh, you would see Ruby Soho holding like the control panel for the shark cage, and she would get attacked by uh, Ty Conti. Ty Conti would run down, attack Ruby Soho. You would see those two ladies exchange uh, hands, but then you see Anna Jay come down and try to talk to Ty Conti, asking her what she's doing. And then you see Anna Jay punch Ruby in the face, and join up with her best friend, Ty Conti. So now, it seems to me that Ty and Anna are cool once again, and Anna's more or less going to probably be joining the Jericho Appreciation Society. So once that happens, you see Anna grab the uh, control panel that will lower the shark cage, and you will see Ty Conti running over to try to unlock the uh, padlock that was on the shark cage. She couldn't do it, so it took her some time, but she wasn't able to do it. So you saw Daniel Garcia and uh, one half of 2.0, like, exit out of the shark cage through the side uh, bars, jump in the ring and start beating up on Kingston. Then you saw the other half of 2.0 and then Jake Hager come in and also beat up on Kingston. So now I got all the members of Jericho Appreciation Society beating up on Kingston until Ortiz and the Blackpool Comic Club, uh, Claudio Castagnoli, John Moxley, and Willie Uta coming down. Once they come down, is now them taking on the Jericho Appreciation Society. Then it comes down to Jericho and Kingston once again. Kingston will get Bob Wire wrapped around his arm, and he will get Jericho in the stretch plum muffler, and now it looks like he, Jericho's about to tap out. And then Sammy Guevara pops out of nowhere, and he jumps in and super kicks Kingston in the face. He would pick Kingston up and hold Kingston so Chris Jericho could wrap the barbed wire around his arm and hit Kingston with the Judas effect. 
and that will put away Kingston. Kingston will lose the match by pinfall to Jericho. After the match, this is where things got hectic and real messy. Uh, Sammy will hold up Eddie as Jericho was getting ready for something, but Kingston would back kick Sammy in the nuts, basically a low blow, then throw Sammy into Jericho, and then you see Kingston try to hit a spinning backhand, but miss, which leads to Eddie grabbing Sammy quickly, throwing him out of the ring, and then Eddie will grab Jericho and throw him into a bunch of barbed wire that's on the outside of the ring, and that's how Dynamite ends. Okay, here's a critical thing I have AEW here. AEW needs to learn how to do dev matches. Last year's Jericho going against Nick Gage, that was a good death match, period. You, you, you didn't do any funny business. It was nothing but straight up uh, glass, pain, paint of glass, uh, light tubes, even a pizza cutter. You guys were able to nail all this stuff, even thumbtacks, perfectly, right? You guys, I thought you guys learned from the Kenny Omega, John Moxley, uh, revolution, like, debacle, which happened when all the explosives didn't blow up. It was nothing but a dud at the end of your Revolution pay-per-view. I thought you guys learned from that last year. And, again, I even got to give you guys props for this because you guys learned from your uh, Blood and Guts match that you had last year where everybody, even I, criticized you guys for the camera angles for the finish of your Blood and Guts where MGF threw Jericho off and he was supposed to look like he made, like, a damage to Jericho, but he really fell on foam and all this type of garbage. And this year, you had the right camera angle and all this type of stuff. And when Eddie Kingston threw Sammy off and had him crash through the tables, you guys used the right camera angle. You guys made sure everything looked nice. You guys learned. Somehow you guys didn't learn this year with the death match with that, with Jericho and Eddie Kingston. I don't understand how you guys didn't learn. I don't understand what was supposed to happen at the finish of it. I don't know what was supposed to go down with the ending. I just said this is bad and this is a bad take for Kingston again because the revolution deal with Kingston came in to save Moxley last year, and with the explosives going off, and Kingston had to sell, like, he got uh, PTSD, that was that, and Kingston even had to put that over on Dynamite a couple weeks after that, to now Kingston having to do this at the end of this. Yo, let me just say this right now. Whatever you guys got with Bob Wire and Deathmatch in AEW, I want you guys to quit it. You guys had two attempts at it. It didn't work. Stop it. If you're going to do a barbed wire match, just do straight up barbed wire ropes. Cut the crap. Call it a day. That's it. You guys just need to be barbaric with it. That's it. And you guys were. You had Kingston getting the blood that he wanted from Jericho. You guys did that. Fine. But you guys were trying to add more stuff in when you guys really didn't need to at the end of it. You guys just let to Kingston and Jericho. That's it. Let Kingston get the win off Jericho because it's supposed to be the swan song for Kingston. But no, you guys didn't do that. You guys now trying to find another wrinkle for to keep the Jericho Kingston story alive. This should have ended right here with Kingston getting the win. You guys somehow fumbled the ball on this. I don't know how with the episode actually being nice, but then the ending of the episode just being this. You guys fumbled the bag on it. I don't understand how, AEW. I don't understand. I hope you guys do better next week. I really do. You guys had a good show until that main event. I ain't gonna hold you. You guys had a good show until the main event. Uh, now on to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling, uh, we'll start with a tag team matchup, a knockouts tag team matchup. Vexed, who are Chelsea Green and Deanna Peraza going against Mia Yim and the knockouts women's champion, Jordan Grace. Deanna Peraza would win the match for her team by pinfall when Chelsea and Deanna would hit an inside-out slam on Mia Yim. 
and Indiana would cover Mia for the win. Again, Impact, as I've been saying constantly, Impact has good knockouts uh, matches. The women there, they know how to wrestle. They know how to move around and do everything that they need to do. They work wrestling to a point that right now, I'm going to say they have, I'll say right now, yeah, I'm confident in this. They have the best women's roster right now on the big television shows. Better than AEW, better than WWE. WWE at one point had one of the best female rosters out there, but right now, not so much. Knockouts have that distinction right now for me. So if you guys want good female wrestling, and I mean this, go to Impact Wrestling and watch their women work. They are really putting on a clinic, and this tag team match really showed it here. Uh... After this, later in the night, you will see Chelsea and Deanna get walked up to by Gail Kim, and Gail Kim will let them both know that they have a knockouts tag team title matchup at Emergence as they will be going against uh, Taya Valkyrie and Rosemary for the Impact Knockouts Women Tag Team Championship. So there you go. Uh, after this, we will get an exhibition championship matchup of Diener with Joe Doring going against B-Ball Mike Bailey for the exhibition championship. Mike Bailey would win the match by pinfall to retain the exhibition championship when he hits the Ultimo Weapon on the back of Diener for the win. Ultimo Weapon, I forgot to mention this, is basically a uh, front flip, double knees to the back. So he hits that on Diener for the win. Solid match between Diener and Mike Bailey. It was cool. After this, you had Madison Rain with Giselle Shaw in her corner going against the undefeated Masha Slamovich. Masha will win the match by pinfall, clearly, dominantly. When she hits the snowplow on Madison for the win, I'll give this match about a good, what, five or even six minutes. And again, it was nothing but just Masha toying with Madison Rain, tearing off her uh, protective face mask and then hitting her with the snowplow. After the match, Giselle would get in the ring to check on Madison to see if she was okay. And Masha would look like she's about to walk up the ramp, but then she walks back down to the ring, walks towards the commentary table, pick up an envelope, get inside the ring, walk behind Giselle, and then just turn Giselle around and hand her the envelope. Giselle will look inside the envelope and it's one of Giselle's 8x10 photos and it has a big red X on it and that's uh, Marsha's calling card. And that's her uh, death warrant calling card, letting her opponents know that they're next. So Marsha's going after uh, Giselle next. So that's what this was all about. Again, this is giving Marsha Slamovich the old... Samoa Joe undefeated record to me. I believe that we're saving it up for Masha to go against Jordan Grace. And again, as I've been saying, that's going to be a good match whenever they do pull the trigger on it. And after this, we would get Honor No More's uh, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett with Maria Canellis in their corner going against Bullet Club's Ace Austin and Chris Bay in a tag matchup. And Ace Austin would win the match for his team by pinfall thanks to some help from Heath. As Chris Bay had the match and in control, Maria would get on the ring apron to distract the referee. When this happened, Matt Taven would come in and hit Chris Bay with a low blow. Then Heath would pop out from the crowd, get in the ring, and hit Matt Taven with the wake-up call, or as people know it better as the zigzag from WWE's uh, Dolph Ziggler. Then Heath would leave the ring and enter back into the crowd. Ace Austin would then get in the ring, roll up Mike Bennett, but then let go of Mike Bennett and then hit him with the fold for the win. Heath is attacking members of Honor No More each week because Honor No More took out Rhino, so he's doing this as a vengeance stuff. And it was announced that next week, Eddie Edwards will be going against Ace Austin because Eddie Edwards is tired of his uh, 
team always losing so far. So he's going to have to take uh, leadership and show them how it's done. Uh, after this, we get a main event number one contenders matchup for the Impact World Championship, where the winner will face Josh Alexander at Emergence. It was Alex Shelley going to Chris, Chris Saban, the Motor City Machine Guns going against each other. Alex Shelley would win the match by submission when Alex would get Chris Saban in the Border City stretch for the win. This was a good match between both of these men. Uh, this match was more physical than the FTR going against each other in the Owen Hart uh, tournament. The Owen Hart tournament, you had FTR going against each other, and they were taking it easy on each other because they didn't want to brutalize each other, but they still like swung at each other. But with Alex Shelley and Chris Saban, they were taking shots at each other, and Chris Saban was getting beat up brutally because Alex Shelley really wanted to go after the Impact World Championship because Chris Saban's always been already been a former Impact World Champion, and Alex Shelley has not. So Alex Shelley would try to go after the knees of Chris Saban, and Alex Shelley already knows that Chris Saban has bad knees because he's had both of his, uh, God, Ace, no, no, was it ACL or MCL? It's one of the tendons that they, if you get him torn, you got to be out for. I believe it was ACLs. Both of his ACLs and both legs have been torn. So he already knows that Chris Saban got bad legs. So he went after the knees. And Chris, that was one of Chris Saban's downfalls in this. And again, both of these guys, they were going at each other. They really didn't hold back. And I liked it because you don't really see that a lot when tag team, uh, both members of the same tag team going against each other. It's really rare, but when it happens, you don't see them really going at it, and these two really went at it, and I enjoyed the match wholeheartedly. Uh, after the match, you will see Diener and Joe Doring run down to the ring in a rush and attack both men. Josh Alexander would be watching this, but then he would be leaving the screen, and it looks like he's about to run down to save them, but we don't see him. Instead, we hear the music of Kushida. Kashida would run down to the ring and take care of both Diener and Joe Doring, and he basically eliminates both of the men out of the ring, and, and he lifts up both members of the Motor City Machine Guns. Kashida has history with both members, Chris Saban and Alex Shelley. More Alex Shelley because Alex Shelley was uh, Chris Saban's, no, not Chris Saban's, uh, Kashida's tag partner in New Japan as the Time Splitters and their former IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champion. So it was nice to see the. Uh, alliance between Kushida and Alex Shelley again. Now, to note, next week on Impact, Killer Kelly will be making her Impact uh, debut, and also Rich Juan will be going against Kushida next week on Impact. I see that match being a real good match. And that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to Friday Night SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Stephanie McMahon in the middle of the ring. Stephanie would welcome everybody to SmackDown. Then she would talk about Vince McMahon retiring from WWE because Vince would have tweeted a tweet saying that he's basically retired from the WWE. He's been 77 years turning a small uh, wrestling company into a worldwide conglomerate that it is today. So he is officially retired from CEO position and all that type of stuff, even though he still holds a lot of like majority of the shares in WWE as a corporate entity. He has officially retired. Uh, she will say that Vince uh, has created this world and he wants to thank the WWE Universe, the people in the back, the camera operators, the people that rigs up the trucks and all this stuff. Basically everybody. And she will say that since Vince was able to thank everybody earlier in this tweet, 
She would like everybody to thank Vince, so she would lead a thank you Vince chant. People were already doing the thank you Vince chant as soon as Stephanie was talking, but people would still do the thank you Vince, and that would be it. I'm going to not talk about the Vince McMahon situation yet because, yeah, sure, Vince McMahon did retire, but, and this is a but here, with corporate entities like this, how long is Vince really going to be retired? Is he going to be taking more of a like a mentorship to his daughter, Stephanie, and his son-in-law, Triple H, Paul Levesque, in WWE. I don't think Vince's hands are going to be completely clean out of WWE. I just think that a good, probably, what, 80% of his time is now not going to be operated by WWE. I think still, whenever it comes like the big events like a WrestleMania, like that, we're still going to have Vince's hands in it. But from day-to-day operations, yeah, I think Vince has, like, winged off of it now. So if that's what we're calling retirement, yeah, sure. But what does WWE look like under the tutelage of Triple H and Stephanie? I don't know. Hopefully we get the WWE of NXT era when the black and gold with independence wrestlers were roaming in NXT on the main roster and SmackDown, everybody was able to do their thing now with more wrestling on it, hopefully. But we shall see. Anyway, uh, now on to the rest of the show. Street Profits will then come out. And they have an in-ring promo. The reason why they're out here is because they're going to say that at SummerSlam, they're going to become the Unified Tag Team Champions, and yada, yada. Then Theory will come out and say that nobody cares about what they're going to do at SummerSlam. And at SummerSlam, he's going to be the United States Champion, and then he's going to cash in his money in the bank briefcase and become the undisputed Universal Heavyweight Champion. And he said he doesn't care if it's Brock or the Tribal Chief. Then the Usos come out. The Usos will tell Theory that if he keeps... Uh, putting the Tribal Chief's name in his mouth, he won't make it to SummerSlam. The Prophets will laugh at this theory, will let Montez Ford know that both him and his wife will be leaving SummerSlam empty-handed. Montez will tell Theory that he isn't going to leave here tonight without getting in these hands, so Montez would launch at Theory, looking to punch him in the face, but Theory will move out of the way, and Montez will inadvertently hit Jay Uso in the face. This will lead to the Street Profits and the Usos brawling in the ring, and then you will have Theory standing in the middle, and he's trying to figure out, does he want to leave the ring, or does he want to help somebody out? So he ends up helping out the Usos and beating up on the Street Profits until Madcap Moss comes out, and with that, you got now the Street Profits and Moss eliminating Theory and the Usos out of the ring, and this was set up for our main event later in the night, six-man tag, Usos in theory going against the Street Profits and Madcap Moss. After this, we would get a one-on-one competition matchup between Shinsuke Nakamura going against Ludwig Kaiser with Gunther in his corner. Ludwig would win the match by pinfall thanks to some help from Gunther. Once Shinsuke Nakamura had Ludwig rolled up in the pin, Ludwig would push off of Shinsuke Nakamura and send him into the ropes where Gunther would jump up and hit Shinsuke in the face with a forearm. The referee wouldn't see it, and this would allow Ludwig to grab Shinsuke and hit him with a DDT for the win. After the match, you would see Ludwig and Gunther on the entrance stage, and you saw Gunther like tell Ludwig to put his shoulders down, put his arms down by his side, and Ludwig's telling Gunther, didn't you just see me win? I, I won the match. And then you see Gunther tell him, arms down. So now Ludwig is not trying to do it. He has his head in the sky. He just... Like, oh boy, here we go again. So he's bracing himself up to get chopped in the chest. And then you see Gunther look at Ludwig and then he pats him on the back. So he played him out for a minute, like tell him like, congratulations, good job on a good win. And then he hit him with a psych and he slapped him across the chest. So basically Gunther, the little brother, uh, 
Ludwig here. He basically just trumped him out. So Gunther would constantly still yell at Ludwig here. I thought, okay, Gunther doesn't have to chop Ludwig because, well, his man won and that's his whole thing. We're not going to have no losers with us because if you do, you're going to get chopped in the chest. Apparently not. Looks like also the case is that if Gunther has to help you out in your match, you're going to get chopped in the chest too. So we'll have to see how that process continues to grow, but it is going to show up that Shinsuke is more or less going to go against Gunther somewhere down the line for the Intercontinental title somewhere. After this, we get a backstage uh, interview statement between the SmackDown Women's Champion Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey. Ronda would tell Liv to her face that she respects her, but at SummerSlam, she is going to beat her because she is Ronda Rousey. She has made her name in at SummerSlam. She wants Liv to shake her hand the same way that she did when she lost the championship to Liv at Money in the Bank. Liv would tell Ronda that she can't stand here and look Ronda in the eye and tell her that she's going to beat her because she's better than her. But it is going to be because she is more passionate than her and that she needs this more than Ronda. Liv does tell Ronda that she will shake her hand at SummerSlam. She has, she does have the fear about that. So Ronda would tell Liv, that's the reason why I like you. That's the reason why the people here like you because you have the most passion out of everybody in the locker room except me. And then you see Ronda walk away. I like this little back and forth uh, situation between Ronda and Liv. Again, this giving Liv more ammunition for a match against Ronda. This still puts Liv as an underdog in her matchup against Ronda at SummerSlam. And again, we're going to get a underdog win from Liv. And I'm cool with that. After this, we would see the camera go back to Pat McAfee and Michael Cole talking at the commentary table. And you would see them just talking. And then you see Michael Cole just move out of the way. And you see Pat get Spartan 300 kicked right in his chest by Happy Corbin. I mean, Corbin just kicked Pat right in the chest and he fell out the chair. I laughed hysterically about it because the way that he was just so shutting and the way that the kick was so forceful, I just bust out laughing. Anyway, Corbin will pick up Pat McAfee, bash his head on the commentary table once or twice and then throw him into the barricade and then start walking away. Pat McAfee would get up and then he will start chasing after Corbin to the back. We would get a camera shot of Pat McAfee running backstage trying to find Corbin. Corbin will try to smash Pat with a steel chair, but Pat will duck it, and now you will see officials getting in between them and separating them. Pat McAfee would then go out to the ring and get a microphone and say that Corbin won't be able to run and jump him at SummerSlam the exact same way that he's been doing these past few weeks because at SummerSlam, he's going to kick that big ball-headed baby and put him down for the count at SummerSlam. So again, this is still building into Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin's matchup at SummerSlam. I think Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin is probably going to be the dark horse match of the night, personally. I think that everybody likes Pat McAfee. Everybody already knows what he can do in the ring. Pat McAfee has showed that he actually can keep up with uh, the WWE wrestlers, or at least let them guide him into a match. So I expect nothing... Uh, short of a good match between Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin at SummerSlam, if I'm going to be honest here. After this, we will get a tag team matchup. Viking Raiders going against Jinder Mahal and Shanky while the New Day were on commentary for the match. The Vikings would win the match by countout when they were able to beat up on Jinder outside of the ring and then throw him into the New Day, and then they will get in the ring as the referee would make the count and count Jinder out. A solid match here. Used. It's... 
not even a solid match. This is like one of those matches like, okay, we know what this is. This is just to continue the progression of the story because next week the Viking Raiders will be going against the New Day on SmackDown. So that's just what is building into for next week's situation. After this, we would get a in-ring situation with Sheamus and his brawling brutes buddies, uh, Butch and Ridge Holland, and there will be a green table in the middle of the ring. Sheamus will be out here complaining about Drew McIntyre carrying his sword, calling him a menace and a dangerous person. Drew will come out here, and Sheamus will tell Drew that if he puts the sword away, he will have his brutes leave the ring. Drew does this. He puts the sword away right in the corner. Sheamus is a man of his word, and he tells the brutes to get out of the ring, and they do so. Drew would ask Seamus, where is the guy that he traveled up and down the roads with? Where is the guy that he did battles with overseas and the guy that got signed to WWE at the exact same time that he did? And when did he become this coward that he sees before him? He would tell Seamus that he needs to quit dunking him and that they need to have a match so they can see who's going to go against the undisputed Universal Champion at Clash at the Castle because... You don't want Roman to still be champion because he's a guy that's not on SmackDown or Raw. He's just a guy holding the titles hostage. And you don't want Brock because that's not a better situation. Sheamus will tell Drew that they will have their match next week, but they will have a old-fashioned Irish Donnybrook match, basically, which is a no holds barred match. Any Basically, anything goes. Tables, chairs, uh, all these other things. Everything goes except... Drew McIntyre's sword. The sword can't be used. Duh, that's what we call murder. But shillelaghs will be used. Shillelaghs are thick wooden like objects that you can basically hit people in the head with. Drew agrees to the match. Adam Pierce will come out and he will make the match official. So next week it'll be Drew McIntyre going against Sheamus. Number one contender, whoever wins, will be facing the undisputed Universal Champion at Clash of the Castle. Uh, so there you go. After this, we would get Raquel Rodriguez going against Sonya Deville. This match comes about because Sonya Deville was constantly messing around with Adam Pearce earlier in the show, the same way that she's been doing for the past couple weeks when she would be on the show. So it continues on. Raquel would beat Sonya Deville here when she would pick her up and hit her with a Tejano bomb for the win. And that's it. Uh, Sonya Deville was able to get some offensive maneuvers on Raquel Rodriguez, but once you see those two standing beside each other, you know Raquel's going to win the match. After this, we were supposed to get another Lacey Evans going against Aaliyah matchup, but that doesn't happen because Lacey would again do what she's been doing these past couple weeks, saying that she's not getting the adulation that she deserves, tell the people that they all suck, and all this type of stuff. But this time, Aaliyah would try to insist for the match to happen, but... Lacey Evans would suck a puncher with the woman's right and then leave the ring. And again, they would announce that next week on SmackDown, we're going to get Lacey Evans versus Aaliyah. I'm not sure how that match is going to happen. I think probably this time, if the WWE creators or story writers were smart, they're going to have Aaliyah jump Lacey as soon as she gets in the ring so the match actually could happen. Now, time for the main event of SmackDown. Six-man tag matchup, the Usos in theory, going against the Street Profits and Madcap Moss. Madcap Moss would win the match for his team by disqualification when Theory would hit Madcap in the face with the briefcase as Madcap would run towards him in the turnbuckle and Theory would pick up his briefcase and hit Madcap basically in the face. And the referee would call for the bell. 
After the match, Theory would be standing over Madcap with a briefcase, and then Brock Lesnar's music would hit, and out walks Brock Lesnar. Brock would circle the ring before entering it and going straight after Theory, and then hitting him with F5, and then picking up the Money in the Bay briefcase to start beating Theory multiple times over with it on Theory's back. And then Brock would pick up Theory again and hit another F5, but this time he would land Theory on top of the briefcase, and that's how SmackDown ends. Here's a side note for you. Um, when SmackDown was going on, there was people online saying that there was a report happened that Brock Lesnar walked out on SmackDown, and people were wondering, are the commentators going to pull what they did with Sasha Banks and Naomi going on television and saying that Brock Lesnar has walked out, calling him unprofessional and all that type of stuff, and I ain't going to front with you. I was waiting, and I was like, mm, I don't think that, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think Brock walked out. So, once Brock showed up at the end of SmackDown, I thought to myself, okay, Brock's a smart businessman. He is who he is. Brock's a main attraction deal. He brings up uh, people wanting to see him. People's going to want to see an attraction. Brock Lesnar is an attraction for WWE. And you're not going to let your attraction walk away literally, what, a week before SummerSlam now? No, he's going to be there. He's going to do what he got to do because he has a contract and he's going to fulfill it to the best of his abilities because he's making big money uh, deals. So Brock is going to show up. He's going to do what he got to do. And that's about it. So I wasn't too worried. But once I saw Brock show up, that really like, okay, Brock's a businessman. He's never going to ever just walk out of a show. So let that be a lesson to everybody. If you have a contract as big as Brock Lesnar and you got the money that Brock Lesnar's getting, best believe you're not walking out on that. Sasha Bank and Naomi's contracts were basically being, like, they were trying to get them to negotiate. Their contracts were uh, expiring. That's the reports of it. And that's the reason why they left out also because they were tired of WWE not doing that with the tag team, women tag team titles. So they aren't motivated by money. They're motivated by being happy. Brock Lesnar's motivated by money. Let's just call a spade a spade. So, that's the difference. Sasha and Naomi, they like their happiness. Brock Lesnar, he likes money. So there you go. Now, on to AEW Rampage. First match of the night will be Hangman Page and John Silver going against Butcher and the Blade in the tag matchup. Hangman will win the match for his team by pinfall when John Silver and Hangman Page will hit a series of moves on the Butcher, and then Hangman will hit a bookshot lariat on the Butcher for the win. Solid tag match. Between both of them, I like that we've seen Butcher and the Blade a lot more. They were one of the two. They were one of the teams that came in twenty twenty, early twenty twenty, before the pandemic happened, when they got introduced as uh, MGF's like uh, guys that got paid off, like Hitman. So I'm happy that we now get to see them more because we didn't get to see them a lot in twenty twenty. We saw them what sparingly in twenty twenty one, and they were with Matt Hardy's like crew of like goons so now i get to see butcher and the blade a lot on tag teams uh matches on aew i'm just happy to see them basically what i'm getting at here hey man page we're starting to be in a slow build for him and i'm glad that he's starting to come back on television more too same thing with john silver anytime i see john silver on television i'm extremely happy because he's charismatic and he's a good wrestler now after this, we would get Claudio Castagnoli coming out for an in-ring promo. Claudio comes out here to talk up his match with Jonathan Gresham at death before his honor for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Claudio will mention that the World Championship has eluded him his entire career. 
And he's never thought that being the best wrestler in the world had to be somebody holding uh, the world championships. He thought he was the best because the people were supporting him. The people in the audience were supporting him. The people on social media were supporting him. Just having the crowd support will make you the best in the world. Claudio will say that he sees why Jonathan says he's the best because Jonathan has never been in the ring with Claudio Castagnoli. Claudio will say that he is the best and nobody can hold a candle to him in the ring. So Claudio ends it by saying that he can't wait to beat Jonathan Gresham to become the new Ring of Honor World Champion. Uh, after this, we would get Dante Martin going against Lee Moriarty with Matt Sydal in his corner. Lee Moriarty would win the match by pinfall when Dante would go for the nosedive and Lee Moriarty would move out of the way and Dante would roll up Lee, but Lee would reverse out of it and roll up Dante. And as the referee would count for the two, Lee Moriarty would put his hands on the rope and the referee would count for three and Lee Moriarty would get the win by holding on to the ropes. After the match, you would see Matt Sydal get in the ring. He gets on the mic and question if Lee wanted to win the match that way. And you see Lee Moriarty just standing there on the entrance ramp, just looking at Matt Sydal, like, all sassy. And then you see Matt Sydal would challenge Lee Moriarty to a match next week because it's not going to be student versus student. It's going to be master versus student, and Lee Moriarty isn't ready. That's all Matt Sydal's words. So we're going to get that match next week. And also, towards the end of the match, you saw Stokely Hathaway standing on the entrance ramp watching Lee Moriarty do what he do, and he tried to give Lee Moriarty his card once Lee Moriarty was leaving the ring. Lee Moriarty just looked at Stokely and just walked away from him. So, again, this is pushing the narrative that Stokely Hathaway wants to get Lee Moriarty with him, and probably with the Jade brand, too. We're probably going to see Lee Moriarty with Jade and all that type of stuff. That'll be cool, because I wouldn't mind Jade having some, like, guy backup around her, because, again, that would just show that she's Somebody that's so dominant that she needs a male, like, backup figure to help her win her some of her championships. Because she already has the females. It will be different to see a male help a female out win a matchup. I don't think we've seen that in a minute. But it'll be different. I'm, I wouldn't be opposed to Lee Moriarty working with Jay Cargill. I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. Next, we had another tag matchup. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter with Rebel in their corner going against Ashley D'Ambrose and Sky Blue. Britt will win the match for her team by submission when Britt would hit a butterfly suplex on Ashley. Then Jamie Hader would come in and hit a sliding clothesline to the back of the head of Ashley. Then finally, Britt will lock in the lockjaw for the win and have Ashley tap out. A solid matchup here. This is breeding. This is uh, brewing up for Britt and Jamie Hader to go against Thunder Rosa and uh, Tony Storm. Their tag matchup, that's not happening this week. Well, this week coming because on Dynamite this upcoming week, Thunder Rosa has to defend the AEW Women's Championship. And uh, we will see if Thunder Rosa retains that or loses the belt on Dynamite. After this, we would get the rap battle of Max Caster going against Austin Gunn. Max Caster had Anthony Bowens and some guys behind him while Austin Gunn had his brother, his father, and some other guys behind him. And the host for this rap battle was uh, rapper Little Scrappy. You had both guys sending shots at about each other's fathers. You had Austin Gunn pulling out some personal, saying that Max Caster dated Chris Statlander in the past. Uh, you had Max Caster pulling out on 
Austin Gunn by saying that uh, he had a crappy reality show that nobody watched. I mean, these guys were just throwing out lines of lines towards each other. I mean, it was a corny rap battle, but in the end, Max Caster would win the rap battle. And uh, Billy Gunn will punch Little Scrappy in the face, and then you will see the gun club start beating down on the acclaim. In the end, the gun club was standing over the acclaim, but now that Max Caster did win the rap battle, he now gets a match against the gun club anytime, anywhere, in any uh, type of stipulation that he wants. So we'll have to see what goes into that when the time comes. Now it's time for the main event, a rampage. Christopher Daniels going against Jay Lethal, who had Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh in his corner. Two former Ring of Honor World Champions going at each other. Uh, Jay Lethal would win the match by pinfall when he was able to hit the Lethal Injection, which is a handspring cutter on Christopher Daniels uh, for the win. Solid match between these two guys, but again, this is still building into Jay Lethal's and Samoa Joe's Ring of Honor Television Championship matchup that happens tonight at Death Before Dishonor because Christopher Daniels is out here to... Uh, Stand up for his buddy that hasn't been on AEW Dynamite or Rampage or any of that. Samoa Joe, since uh, Jay Lethal took him out at uh, Double or Nothing after his match with Adam Cole. So this is that situation. Chris Daniels just trying to stick up for his friend, but Jay Lethal would ultimately beat him up, get the win. After the match, you see Sanjay Judd kick uh, Chris Daniels till he gets on the ring apron, and then you see Sondam Singh pick up Christopher Daniels and hit him with a gorilla press slam onto the floor. Then you see Jay Lethal lock in the Coquina Clutch on Christopher Daniels. The Coquina Clutch is Samoa Joe's uh, finishing submission move that he likes to finish people off with, so this was Jay Lethal's final, like, F you to Samoa Joe, as, again, he will be facing Samoa Joe for the Ring of Honor Television Championship matchup at Death Before Dishonor, and that is going to be a real personal one because Jay Lethal was the student of Samoa Joe in the original Ring of Honor, what, 2005 era when Samoa Joe was the man. So we're going to see how that works out. Anyway, that was your Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, with all that being said, let me give you guys my Death Before Dishonor uh, predictions before I get you guys out of here. Uh, six-man tag matchup for the ROH World Six-Man Tag Team Championships. The Righteous, which are the champions. There's Vincent, Tyler Bateman, and Dutch going against Dalton Castle and his boys. I see Dalton Castle and the boys winning this because the fact that Vincent is signed to Impact Wrestling, I don't think they're going to bring him over to the Ring of Honor situation for that. I think the Righteous are going to lose this, and Dalton Castle and the boys are going to win this and uh, become the new Ring of Honor Six-Man Tag Team Champions. Roosh going against his brother Ryu Lee, formerly known as Dragon Lee. I see Roosh winning this because he's building up with the La Faction in Nicaragua's with himself, Andrade, and uh, Jose. I think that after the match, you're going to see Roosh and Ryu uh, Lee join together, and the brothers coming together with Andrade coming in the middle, and they're going to stick their fist out, and then we're going to have that La Faction. Igor Nobles' whole celebration right there of Riley joining his brother. Ring of Honor Women's World Championship matchup, Mercedes Martinez going against Serena Deed. Uh, Mercedes Martinez, because again, she just technically won the championship, what, in April? April at Supercard, but like May, around that time, whenever she defeated Deanna Peraza to unify both championships. So I see Mercedes winning this because this will be her 
first big like a defense, and I don't think Serena Deed they're gonna hand a belt onto Serena Deed at least not just yet. Uh, two out of three falls for the ROH World Tag Team Championship matchup. FTR going against the Briscoes. I think the Briscoes are going to win off the fact that the Briscoes are now signed to Ring of Honor. They're not signed to AEW, but they are signed to Ring of Honor. So I think we're going to see the Briscoes coming up on AEW television from time to time until Ring of Honor gets their full licensing and all that stuff on television. I think we're going to see periodically the Briscoes popping up time to time, but I think the Briscoes are going to beat FTR for the ROH World Tag Team Championships, and that's going to slowly start seeing FTR getting titles taken off of them, but not rapidly, but this is going to be start slowly happening as time passes throughout the rest of this year. Pure uh, championship matchup between Will Yuta and Daniel Garcia. I see Daniel Garcia winning this, to be honest with you, because Daniel Garcia needs some gold. Jericho Appreciation Society needs some gold. The Blackpool Combat Club already got the interim world championship. It wouldn't be a bad situation for Daniel Garcia to hold the pure championship and give uh, Jericho's group some gold. Samoa Joe going against Jay Lethal for the ROH television championship. I see them still giving it to Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe has been gone ever since uh, Double or Nothing when he faced Adam Cole in the Owen Hart uh, Memorial Tournament Finals. Samoa Joe lost that. I don't think they're going to have him coming back here and lose the Ring of Honor World Television Championship to Jay Lethal. I think they're going to have a good match, but I think Joe's going to win that one. And then in the main event, Jonathan Gresham going against Claudio Castagnoli for the ROH World Championship. I have Claudio winning this because, again, Claudio's coming off of a big uh, winning streak right now. He came to AEW going against Zack Sabre Jr. at Forbidden Door, won that. He won his team one at uh, God, Blood and Guts, and then he just beat Jake Hager last week. He's on a roll right now. I don't think they're going to stop that at death before dishonor. I think Claudio Castagnoli is going to beat Jonathan Gresham, who's been holding on to that title ever since final battle of 2021. I think it's going to be a good match between both of these guys. Again, a good technical matchup between Claudio and Jonathan, but I think Claudio is going to win that, and he's going to finally become a world champion, something that everybody, whether you know of Claudio Castagnoli or you know whom as Cesaro in WWE. You always at least rooted for him to become a world champion. I think everybody in the wrestling world is going to be celebrating, jumping up and down when Claudio wins the Ring of Honor uh, World Championship. So those are my predictions for Death Before Dishonor. Um, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please be careful. Please be safe wherever you guys drive. Uh, there are dicks out here on the road. Please just be careful. Uh, I hope you guys tune into my Sunday episode. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about yet, but once I do, you'll hear about it. But again, have a great Saturday. I love you all. Please be safe. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept.